Um, so my parents live in uh, Reno, and I have no idea what prompted them to decide to do this, though I'm going to find out here in a minute, or in a week or so, I'll find out if they listen to my messages or not. Um, <laughs> they, they have an unlisted telephone number, right? Which sort of makes sense, but when they call folks, uh, blocked comes up. Um, and, and this is, I, I'm sure they have a great reason for it, right? Um, but, but what ends up happening is, um, so if I'm, say, sitting on the couch in the evening and the phone rings and it says blocked or unlisted, I have a moment of decision. You guys know the moment of decision I'm talking about? It's, is it my parents or is it a telemarketer? Um, and, and I, I have not gotten it into my mind that they go to bed really early and so it's usually a telemarketer. But, or they'll call back if it's them. Um, but, but I frequently, and how much, do you guys enjoy these telemarketer calls? I, and I try to be polite, you know, but I, I, it's really hard to say, all right, no thank you. And then they'll say, well wait. And it keeps going and, and, and you're like, no, 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 no. And eventually you have to hang up on them because they, they get paid to keep you on the phone and try and get you to buy stuff. Does that, everybody with me? Um, I, I, I was paying attention this week and, and just sort of looking at how many things that surround us are, are instances of people, um, coming to us and, and literally just trying to sell us stuff. Um, I mean, it's everywhere all the time, isn't it? Um, I, I had, uh, I, I, I had for a little while where I worked second shift at, at my last job and, and I would get home at, um, 11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning on a regular basis. And, and you'd get home and you'd be so ramped up with adrenaline because, you know, working with like violent kids, sometimes you'd be fighting kids at 2 in the morning and then you'd go home. Um, and so I'd come home from work and I would sit up and I would watch TV and I'll tell you about 90% of what's on TV is infomercials. Am I the only one who's ever sat and just wasted an hour or two watching an infomercial? Oh, exactly. I and I, I've got a magic bullet. That was that was great. It's a good infomercial, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it, it at least it's got a storyline. I figure that's a <laughs> and and but I mean, there's all of this stuff, and there it's always, hey, wait, let me tell you about how I'm going to make your life a hundred times better. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's a rotisserie, you know, it's great, you know, it's, it's not that big a deal. And, and when they offer it and they say, hold on, there's more, right? And they, they try to catch you with that, um, what is it, whiff? Anybody ever done sales? Whiff, what's in it for you, right? <laughs> and, and, and I think because we're so surrounded by, by folks trying to sell us something, um, it's easy to become cynical. How many of you guys, as soon as you, as you uh, start talking to somebody and they start in on their pitch, you're like, oh, just stop. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. Is it just me? Oh, and Larry, there's like four of us and everybody else is awesome, right? <laughs> um, we're going to be talking today about about the good news, right? Um, we're going to be talking about what God has for us. And and I think um, I think it's easy for this message to get drowned out in, in all the other noise, um, the, this this plan that God has for us, this thing that God has has laid out in history, um, and it's easy to lose it just in 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 all of the racket um, 
in all of the noise and all of the, hey, wait, let me tell you how I can make your life better today. You know, or, or let me tell you why you need to join my organization. Let me tell you why you need to contribute to the veterans. Apparently there are 12 veterans organizations because they call me twice a week. Um, and they're unlisted too. Um, I, <laughs> um, and so we're going to be looking at, at, at the good news. And oftentimes we got folks around us that say, hey, I got good news for you. And guess what? Ain't really good news, right? It's good news for me, and it's about me trying to get you to buy into my good news. Um, and where we're going to start today is, is actually Matthew 13. Um, what Jesus is doing at this point is he's about to send out the disciples, right? And he's got this crowd of guys, and he sits down with them, and he says, Listen, you're going to be going out. You're going to go out in pairs, right? You're not going to take nothing with you. You're going to go. You're going to preach. If folks chase you off, I want you to shake the dust off your shoes and keep going, Right? Um, this is, it's sort of God's D-Day for the world, right? Not, it's one of several God's D-Days for the world, right? You could argue Christmas and all these other things. This is the moment where, where we first see the church going out and, and sharing this good news, right? As door-to-door salesmen, if you think about it, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and, and when Jesus sends him out, he ends with this line. Um, for I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Um, he's gathered them up. He says, listen, God's kingdom is coming into the world. I'm here. The good news is going out. Um, this is starting. Should I talk louder? Can you turn me up? I'm going to back up a touch then. Is that better? Or were you asking for him to turn me down so you couldn't hear me? Uh, um, so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, look, there, are, there, there have literally been thousands of years of people who have been looking forward to this, who know this is coming, um, but who never got to see it, who spent their whole lives pining to see it, but died before they ever got there. Um, there's a, a theological concept. It's called the scarlet thread, right? Um, it's one of the one of the neatest ideas you're going to find in Old Testament studies. And the idea is that if you begin in Genesis and you go Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and all the rest of the books, all the way up to the Gospel, there's this this line that's there. It's it's this scarlet thread that that is the story of Jesus going from from the book of Genesis all the way to Matthew. Um, and that, that's the scarlet thread, the story of Christ that begins in the beginning, right? The good news. And in fact, actually, Jesus showing up and doing what he does where he dies on the cross for our sins, it's so big that, that it's like a resounding echo. Have you ever, alright, I was about to say, have you ever fired off a shotgun, but I know you all have. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna do something I never do. I'm gonna back up onto the stage. Is that better? Um, you can turn it up and you won't get feedback this way. I'm, um, when you fire off a shotgun, you get the report, right? You get this echo. I know because I'll get up sometimes in the middle of the night and I'll be out in my yard or whatever and I'll hear this, and you can hear it like way off. Um, the moment that Christ enters the world and he walks as one of us and he takes his punishment, like our punishment on himself, is so big that it echoes through history. Um, and that's the scarlet thread. It's this, this God telling us something great is coming. When I started writing this, actually, I compared it to, to Star Wars. I'm a, I'm a geek. I, I like Star Wars movies. And I, I started out watching Star Wars as a little kid. And I remember 
when um, when when they they announced that they were going to make this new movie. Did anybody else remember that? You know this this hey George Lucas is making a brand new prequel movie. And you saw the first preview in the theater. Actually, I went to see a movie I didn't want to see just so I could see the preview. <laughs> People actually got up and left when the preview ended. I couldn't believe it. Um, because they just they wanted it so bad. And it was like, this is going to be great. And you start getting these little tidbits of what it's going to be. And you start getting images of it. And then actually you get there and it was terrible. But in the case of this... Um, God starts giving us little warnings from the beginning. And he starts piling them up and piling them up and piling them up. And when you finally get there, the previews weren't nearly as good as the real thing, right? Um, and we're going to start with, with the fall and the curse, right? So in, in the book of uh, Genesis, you get the story of Adam and Eve. Everybody's basically heard this one. Do I need to recap it for anyone? Um, no smart Alex in the back raising their hand. So we'll, um, where we're picking this up is the fall has happened. Eve has eaten the piece of fruit. Um, and and they've been caught, and God has called them out, and and um, he asked, well, what did you do? And they said, well, you know, I, I guess I ate this fruit, and, and God says, okay, we're going to hand out some punishment. Any parents here ever lined up your kids to hand out the punishment? That's this moment. God, the Father, you know, has lined up the, the guilty parties, and he starts meeting out the punishment. And Adam, you're going to spend the rest of your life working the ground, right? And there's going to be rocks in the way, and there's going to be thorns, and it's going to be tough. So whenever you're out in your combine and you hit a rock, thank Adam. Um, and Eve, you're going to have pain in childbirth, right? Um, it's not that bad. I saw it. I, working is harder. <laughs> For anybody who's visiting, I'm a terrible person. I say stuff like that all the time. I don't really mean it. Um, and then he gets to the snake, right? The snake is the tempter. Um, it, it's generally assumed that this is Satan, right? And, and to Satan, he said, well, we're going to start with the woman. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and the dust you will eat all the days of your life. Um, by the way, that makes sense to, I'm sure, most of the ranchers, right? You get out there with your cattle and you encounter them and you think, man, I hate those things, but I love these things. <laughs> there are snakes here, right? Um, oh my gosh, I lost the second half of it. Um, somehow I managed to destroy my slides. There it is. Um, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you, or he, he will crush your head and, and you will bruise his heel. Um, the translation for this is discussed heavily as to whether it should be bruise and bruise or crush and bruise or, or what have you. Um, the translation I chose is this one. This is the um, New American Standard. When you get into later, like where the interpreters and the discussers have looked at it, the idea is um, the snake, right, will bruise his heel and he'll crush his head. Um, we find this in the New Testament where we, we realize this is, this is the, the proto-gospel. This is the beginning of God saying, hey, I'm going to fix this. So the world is perfect. The fall happens. People are now in sin. People begin to die. Disease begins to exist. Um, weather becomes bad. The ground becomes hard to work. Childbirth is painful. All of this stuff is a wreck. And things begin to move in a direction that God never intended it to be. Right? And God says, but Wait. While I'm handing out the punishment, I'm going to let you know. First off, the, the deceiver, Satan, right? The seed of this woman, way, 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 way down the line, is going to crush your head. 
and you're going to bruise his heel. This is a reference to the crucifixion, right? Um, in a few weeks, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Easter. Um, this is generally accepted as the first bit of prophecy where God says, the day is coming. Um, the day is coming where I'm going to fix this. And here's how I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send her seed, her great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchild. And you, Satan, are going to be able to hurt him, but you won't be able to kill him. And then he'll break the power you have in this world, right? And so, like, like the beginning of what God offers us is, there's a day coming, even if the world is broken, even if it's messed up, where the power of sin's gone, where it's crushed, where the Son of God takes victory over all of it, right? How many of you guys have had sin negatively affect you in some way? Your own sin or the sin of other people? Everybody in the room. <laughs> um, the Bible begins with the best bit of good news you can get, right? It's not forever. It doesn't win in the end. Um, and this is the beginning of the scarlet thread, right? The very start. Um, you go on from there, and we're going we're gonna to look at the story of uh, Abraham. There's a slide there that doesn't belong. Abraham was a really old man. Everybody know who I'm talking about? He was the first Jewish man. Um, what had happened was, after Adam and Eve, you have several generations where nobody follows God. And, and people have just begun to ignore him. And God finally says, okay, it's time to start in the world. And he gathers up one guy. Abraham, right, who's a pagan, by the way, and he sits down Abraham and he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. We're going to have an agreement. You're like 90, and he was about 90 years old. And he says, listen, despite the fact that you're 90, you got no children. In this culture, not having children is, is shameful, right? Like not having children, people would make fun of you for it. It would be looked at as a curse from, from the heavens. Um, and so Abraham not having children, or Abram, um, not having children is a big deal to him, especially as a 90-year-old. So God comes to him and says, listen, if you be my people, I'll be your God, and I'm going to give you some blessings, right? I'm going to give you descendants. And in fact, I'm going to give you so many descendants that there'll be more of them than there are grains of sand on the beach or stars in the sky, right? This is what Abraham wants more than anything else. Like, he wants this bad, Right? And then he goes on and he says, um, I'm going to give you a land to live in. This is where Israel is today, right? And, and that part of the world. This is going to belong to your people and you're going to live there and it'll never be taken away from you. It'll be flowing with milk and honey. Um, your descendants will be kings, right? And David is, is his descendant and so is Saul. And so are all the other kings of Israel. They're descendants of Abraham, right? Um, now, he makes this promise several times, over and over and over again. And then there's a point where he, he, Abraham waits like 20 years, and he finally has a baby, right? His wife, um, Sarah, has a child. And they name him Isaac, and he's the child of the promise. And it's this huge deal. We're going to look at this story a little more in depth, probably in two weeks. Okay, so just heads up. Um, it's coming. But this child of the promise, this one child that Abraham had, right? this beginning of the grains of sand on the beach, God says to him, I want you to take him over to that hill over there, I want you to sacrifice him to me. And, and the story plays out, right? And we'll look at it more in depth. I don't want to really dig into it this morning. Um, the story plays out, but God spares Isaac in the end. And when he backs up, like God makes the promise again, and he says, listen, and this is uh, Genesis twenty-two eighteen. 18, um, 
he offers him all these things again. Kings, grains of sand on the beach, a land that will be yours. And he says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, right? So in your seed, how many is that? One, right? In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Um, Galatians, Paul picks that up and he says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So what Paul is saying is, look, God makes a promise to Abraham, and the beginning of like this promise is about the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, but the key to it is Jesus. Because the very beginning of the promise that God makes to Abraham or the, the, the central point, the last thing God adds, the most important thing is, your descendant will be a blessing to all the nations, right? And the scarlet thread becomes a little more specific, right? We start to see a little more of it. Um, and we start to realize that it's going to be a descendant of Abraham and he's going to affect everyone in the world. This is going to be this big of a deal. It's going to change everything. Um, did Abraham get to see it? No. Abraham died literally literally thousands of years before Jesus shows up. Um, did Adam and Eve, by the way, get to see the redemption that they, they were promised? Not so much. They died well beforehand, right? Um, we could actually do the scarlet thread thing with the whole of the scriptures. It's everywhere. Um, but we're going to jump ahead and we're going to look at one more, okay, because I like threes. Um, the third one is Isaiah 53. This is about 700 years before Jesus was born. Um, and there's actually kind of a cool thing you can do. If you approach folks with this Isaiah 53 and you don't tell them where it's from and you read it to them and you say, where'd this come from? So now listen to it. Think Old Testament or New Testament. What does it sound like? Okay. Isaiah starts out. Um, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. He was like a root out of the parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we would look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore on himself, um, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, um, smitten of God and afflicted. Uh, But he was pierced through for our transgression, and he was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for our well-being, fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to a slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was not, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to, to grief. If he would, 
if he would render himself as a, as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, um, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many. As he will bear their iniquities, therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many, and he interceded for the transgressors. You could almost read that out of the New Testament. Am I wrong? It's, he's numbered with the guilty. You know, he pours out his life for the people who are transgressors. Um, by his scourging, by his whipping, we are healed. Um, this is 700 years before Jesus was born. Um, it's this scarlet thread. God begins to put on these previews in the early text. He begins to say, hey, world's broken, but I'm going to fix it. It's coming. It's coming. This is good news, Right? This is good news It says, no matter where I've been, no matter what I've done, no matter who I've done it to, no matter why I did it, no matter how big my pile of sin, I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. Everybody who's in Christ is forgiven. Um, the, there's a spot in the New Testament actually where, where um, this line is applied to Jesus um, um, where he's numbered with the numbered with the transgressors. Actually, as Jesus is about to go, it's in the book of Luke. As Jesus is about to go um, and be arrested, he knows he's going out to be arrested. Um, he says, "All right, you guys ready?" He says, "Do you have any swords?" And Peter's like, "We got two. And he's like, "All right, that's enough of that." And he says, um, "You know, I'll be numbered with the transgressors. It's coming." Right? Jesus quotes this verse in reference to himself. Um, it's this this scarlet thread. Everybody with me? And you got this basic idea. The Old Testament is full of coming references to Jesus. Why? Because the best news we could possibly get was coming. And it was coming in Christ. So Christ comes. Christ lives this perfect life. He dies for our sins. He ascends to heaven. And then we get a job. Right? Um, the word in the Bible. You know, read it for me, John. Euangelion. Um, it's got a handful of meanings, right? Um, it's often translated as good news. The way it would be used is, if you were um, a soldier, and you were fighting in a battle, and you won, right? Yay, we won! And we needed to send word back to the city that you had won. That report would be, you and Gelion. Thank you. Um, hey, we won, right? It could also refer to winning in sporting events, right? So when you go on Facebook and you see, look, our, our, our basketball team is going to state, right? That's euangelion. That's the Greek word for victory, right? Um, it's frequently translated as good news. It's also where we get the word evangelism, right? It's generally translated as gospel. The gospel is, the story of Jesus is, Jesus has victory over sin. He has victory over our death. He has victory over eternity. This is the good news, and it simultaneously means, now go tell people. Because this is our job. It's wonderful we're all here, right? We're all people who knows, know Jesus, I assume. Many of us are people who know Jesus. Many of us are people who are in Christ. Um, now we get the job of going and telling people. The problem with that is, and what makes it hard in our culture is, you go and tell people about Jesus, and all they hear is the, let me tell you about this offer I have for you. 
But wait, there's more. Let me, let me, let me talk you into being a part of what we're doing. Does this make sense? We live in a culture where we've got real good news and people are bombarded with nonsense. And they're so bombarded with nonsense that they lose track of what's really important. This isn't going to make you thin, right? It's not going to make you beautiful. Spiritually it will, I suppose, right? It's not going to make your whites whiter. It's not going to make your car last forever. It's not going to necessarily make people like you anymore, right? I don't know, what else do they promise us? All it's going to do is make it so that you're right with God. And it's going to set you on a different path. Um, As we come into Easter, I wanted to start talking about this specifically. Why? Because um, this is the center of what we're about. And if it's the center of what we're about and we keep it for ourselves, we're maybe dropping the ball. Right? Um, I have a video. Um, It's kind of a silly video. So... uh, See if it's going to work for me. It's your neighbors, Jim and Jolena Sanders. Yeah, we made you some Easter eggs. We sure did. I don't want to take away from that pagan golf tournament that you're probably watching in there. But it did hit me that you probably don't go to church to worship our Lord and Savior except for Christmas and Easter, like 68.7% of the rest of the American population. So how about you pack up your brood you come with us to church service on Easter Celebration Sunday, huh? Okay, sure. I mean, my, my wife and I were just talking about where we would go this Easter, so sure, we'll give your, your church a shot. Houston, we have a problem. What's the matter? No one's ever said yes to us before. Oh, oh what do we do? Well, we just back away slowly, all right? Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Don't look at him in the oh, eye. Oh, he could oh, take away your soul. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> we hope to see you there. We'll save you a seat, okay? Really? No, that's just an intimidation tactic. <laughs> okay, toodles! <laughs> Um, so, so it plays out the stereotypes. Anybody ever like felt that stereotype? (laughs) Um, I watched it and it felt so close to home. I said, man, I got to use that. Um, the reality is like, like we get, we get framed this way, right? Like you watch TV, you watch movies, you watch popular culture. We get framed this way as, as people who are, you know, sort of judgmental and sort of trying to pull you in because you're not good and we are and everything else. In reality, what we have um, is like the greatest life preserver ever, right? Um, I like to pick on the movie Titanic um, because it's an awful movie. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but to put this into perspective, I'm going to catch so much grief later. Um, to put this in perspective, it's a little like sitting in the lifeboats, right? It's a little like Belle City. Is Belle her name? Rose? Whatever. I, <laughs> it's a little like Rose sitting on the door in the end of the movie they felt like the same movie to me. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I was sinking through it. Um, but, but it's a little like finding yourself in this end spot where people are all around you in the water, right? And you've got a little bit of space and you say, hey, you know what? I'd like to pull you up, but I don't want to look silly. I'd like to pull you out of your sin, but, well, I don't know. It's kind of cheesy, right? I'd like to invite you to be a part of what we have, a part of the body of Christ here. I'd like to invite you to come hear the gospel. I'd like to reach out a hand to help you, but, man, my boat's comfortable. And if you're up here, I may not be able to put my feet up anymore. 
um, this scarlet thread, this good news, is good news that begins at the beginning of history. It's good news that, that becomes solid and becomes flesh in Christ, right? And it becomes a reality in the resurrection on Easter, which we'll celebrate in about a month. Um, and in our lives, it becomes a reality more and more so every day. Um, part of what we're here to do um, is to invite folks to see what Abraham could only dream of, right? What Isaiah could only write about 700 years in advance. What Adam and Eve could only hang out and hope was going to be true. Um, they believed in that promise. We have it. Um, my challenge for you this week is to go out and, and invite people to be a part of it. Why now? Well, we're coming into Easter, and the guy's right, right? Like 67% of the culture who goes to church go to church on Christmas and Easter. This is a time we can um, draw people in because they're more receptive to hearing about Christ. It's just the truth. Um, I don't care if we're big. I care if people go to heaven. Um, help me bring people to heaven by bringing them here. One of the ways that we celebrate that reality, the reality that Christ came, that, that he died, that he was resurrected, is through communion. And I'm going to call our, our guys who are doing communion this morning forward. Um, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. On uh, the Thursday before Easter, Jesus was arrested. Um, but before he was arrested, he sat everybody down and they ate dinner. And knowing that he would be betrayed, knowing that his blood would be shed, um, he took, took bread and he took wine. He broke the bread and he shared it with his followers and he said, you know, take and eat, this is my body. Um, and he gave them the wine and he said, take and drink, this is my blood. The blood is the reality of the scarlet thread, right? It's just red like life-giving stuff that was spilled for us. Um, and as you take the, as you take the, the wine, the juice, actually, um, think about that. Um, we're standing in a place where we've received something that generations have wished for, um, and we celebrate it this morning with, with communion.